Oh, let's get it. Monday, October 25th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However, you listen to Born the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. First weekend in a while that I, you know what? I just stayed home. I had to. Had too many honeydews on that honeydew list and uh, knocked some of that out. No new ratings or reviews this week. I do appreciate all the reviews that have come in recently. If you haven't yet, please consider writing one for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so does help us climb higher in the algorithms, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover and listen to the interviews, our benefits breakdown episodes, and hear what's in our news releases. It's also the best way for me to communicate with you. Give me some feedback. I give you a you know, response type of thing. It's good to go. Got a couple of news releases this week that I think you'll be interested in. Again, to read every press release from the VA, you can go to va.gov forward slash OPA forward slash P-R-E-S-S-R-E-L. The ones I'm not covering are strategy direction decisions that have you know, no actual outcome as of yet or, or ones that have pretty much expired or news releases that have pretty much expired by the time I get to, to tell you about them. I am more into reading you things that have a more direct effect on your current benefits like this one. First one says for immediate release, starting October, the Department of Veterans Affairs will hire and train new staff to ensure veterans claims are adjudicated quickly and help reduce an expected increase in backlog of claims pending more than 125 days. Due to this, they announced that they are hiring and training 2,000 new employees to assist in claims processing, utilizing funds provided from the American Rescue Plan for overtime to ensure timely claims processing and deploying the requested fiscal year 2022 budget resources to support agent or presumptive processing, as well as for general compensation and pension claims processing. As of October 11th, there were more than 204,000 backlog claims and an inventory of 603,000 total claims. VA identified more than 70,000 claims to review for additional entitlement stemming from the presumptive relationship between Agent Orange and Parkinson's disease, bladder cancer, and hyperthyroidism. Many of these will enter the backlog in October, which is projected to reach 260,000 pending claims. Uh, this, again, was projected due to the Blue Water Navy Act going through a lot of old claims coming back. Uh, again, like I'm going to keep reading. It says several factors have contributed to the recent backlog. Beginning in March 2020, operational changes necessitated by the COVID-19 pandemic resulted in untimely delay of Federal Record Center's retrieval of documents and suspended compensation and pension examinations, which sucks. While these actions were necessary to protect the health and safety of employees and veterans, they slowed the process time for claims. VA workload also increased as a result of the aforementioned, as I mentioned as well, recent decisions and actions, including a court order mandating the review of previously denied veterans, on the basis of qualifying service in the 12 nautical miles surrounding Vietnam, a.k.a. Blue Water Navy. Some good news. The backlog has decreased by more than 14,000 claims since the end of August 2021. With this plan going forward, VA plans to further reduce the backlog claims to 100,000 claims by April of 2024. 
All right. Next one says for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs established a commission to identify candidates to lead and manage the Veterans Health Administration. Hey, just throw it out there in case you know somebody. The position is for the Undersecretary for Health, who oversees the country's largest healthcare system, which has an approximate annual budget of $61 billion and supervises the delivery of care to more than 9 million enrolled veterans. Those being considered must have substantial experience and connection with the programs of VHA or programs of similar content and scope, aka large healthcare systems. By law, the appointment is made without regard to political affiliation and solely on demonstrated ability in the medical profession, policy formulation, and healthcare administration and fiscal management. Duties of the post include overseeing the operation of VA's more than 1,200 sites of care, including hospitals, community-based outpatient clinics, nursing homes, domiciliaries, and 300 vet centers. The candidate should have a demonstrated ability to conceptualize and implement a vision while being an advocate who can move an ambitious agenda forward to meet the needs of veterans. The Veterans Health Administration is the nation's largest provider of graduate medical education and a major contributor to medical and scientific research. More than 73,000 active volunteers, 123,000 health professional trainees, and 306,000 full-time healthcare professionals and support staff are an integral part of the Veterans Health Administration community. To learn more about the position, it's on usajobs.gov. Again, hey, just throwing it out there in case you know somebody that can run the entire Veterans Health Administration for the Department of Veterans Affairs. If you do, you know, point them in the right direction. USA Jobs, Undersecretary. They need one. All right. This week's interview is a Marine veteran, someone I personally served with for a bit out in Europe. We were both staff sergeants at the time. It was six years ago. Uh, he didn't At the time, he didn't have one degree. Now he has three and a bunch of certifications in teaching, instructing, and is currently in a doctorate program in higher learning leadership. He's an educator in both public schools and in military instruction. Since he got out, he's also become an avid Brazilian jiu-jitsu man, not, not practitioner, but more of an evangelist, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu evangelist. And in the course of the conversation, you'll see why I say it that way. The man has dropped 50 pounds, it's done worlds for his mental health, and more. He is a Marine veteran, Tim Davis. Enjoy. So Tim, it's been what? It's been what? Six, six years since we met in France? Yes. Uh, you came out with us in 2014, right? March 2014. Mm-hmm. We deployed with the, the special purpose MAGTAF, supported through 3-8. Um, did that deployment. Well, we came back in the fall that same year. That was a shorter deployment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then was- I, I left um, 3-8 in April of 15. I, I can't remember if you had already detached by then. I was not. out of the Marine Corps by January of 2015. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was I was in a a hot mess of you know scrambling to find my next unit and where I was going to end up in the Marine Corps. So that was kind of one of those situations where I uh, I went inward. I had been given so much energy outward and making sure I was where the Marine Corps needed me. Um, that was kind of one of the transition points I had in my career was coming back from that deployment and just going, "What am I doing for me? What am I doing for my family?" Um, yeah. and it, it ended up cause that was my ninth deployment. Um, so I was, I don't want to, I, I don't like the word tapped out cause there's always somebody that's more tapped out. Um, sure. but 
I looked at it and I said, Hey, what am I preparing my, or what, what am I doing that is preparing me for transition? What am I doing that's preparing me to build a better relationship at my house? And had some talks with some of the enlisted leadership. And even though they needed me for the next deployment, I I was able to make some connections and I uh, went over to the staff NCO Academy across base. And that was a life-changing event because it introduced me to the realm of formal education. And now I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I think 2014, you had like zero degrees and we'll get into all that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah, no, we're good. We'll get into all that. Cause I think it's, Super interesting that, you know, I, I, I met you in 2014, no education, you know, other than the Marine Corps, no education. I'm talking to you, what, six, seven years later, and you're going for your doctor. I think it's amazing. Um, yes. But, you know, every time I look you up, I do, I still look you up every, every once in a while because we, we had some good chats when we were out in France. Um, you're either completing a new degree or you're a new meme on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I, um, <laughs> What's up with that? I am like uh, the as extroverted as as feasible, I guess, because I, uh, I I find myself in situations where I'm just being me, or I yeah. have a great idea, and I don't I don't look at how that might be. I don't, and I don't want you to like construed like, oh, I wasn't trying. No, like I I I am the person who's like, I'm gonna buy this funny shirt. I'm the yes. person who's like, I'm gonna do this, yes. and it will be funny. And then uh, the internet has now just made that where these little snippets of my life have gone viral, um, which I'm okay with because knock on wood, uh, they haven't been like detrimental to my image or or anything like that. If anything, they they reinforce some of the the more positive um, stereotypes of being an O3XX veteran, you know, excuse me, infantry veteran. Uh, from the GWAT era, <laughs> or just a mar- or just a mar- or just a marine in general. Yeah, I, I, think, yeah, I, I, I think you saw in, in my recent vacation. I have the same type of tendencies. Um, you know, on uh, you know your cape on the you know when you wore the cape towards your retirement. That was like I love that one. <laughs> um, so, so before we get too deep into the present, we always start from the top here on Born the Battle. Uh, what made you join the Marine Corps in general back in two thousand two? Um, when did you know the Marine Corps was going to be the next step in your life? Um, it's really weird because I have almost no family that served in the military. I grew up in Northern Connecticut, um, not excessively blue or red at the time in terms of political, political, um, affiliations, not, you know, it's probably just as much, um, like anywhere in new England, but definitely everybody I knew was going to college Mm. and around like fourth or fifth grade, I just got this bug in me that I wanted to be a Marine. So my parents said it started then, and I, I definitely, as I got like into middle school and I understood the differences between the services, maybe it was that I that was looking for the Marines, but I was like, oh, this is better about the Marines, in my opinion. This is better about the Marines, in my opinion. Oh, um, and you remember, this is the 90s, so there weren't significant amount of conflicts going on. There, you know, there were some police actions in Iraq. We were, we were well removed, you know, five to six years away from Desert Storm. Um, you know, some people might say they saw another war coming, but I just saw it. I was like, if I'm going to join the military during this period, who's doing stuff? And mm. the, the MU concept, the MAGTAF had evolved into the very specific MUs in the, in the fleet areas of operation. And you were thinking me, about all of this. You were thinking about all of this before you joined. 
I'm a, I was a big nerd, man. I was a big nerd. And I love it. I love it. Like, like a lot of people in the Marine Corps, that, in my opinion, uh, I'll even say that a lot because I don't want to rep- misrepresent anybody. But I think a lot of people that join the Marine Corps like have something to prove. And sometimes it's internal or external. But if you look at me as a um, 6th to even 11th, 12th grade, I was an overweight kid um, What that wanted to do things that wasn't really sure if I had what it take internally, I might've um, expressed my confidence, but I had as many doubts as anybody could or, or probably would, <laughs> would be at the limit up. But like I, and as much as I wanted to do it, I knew there was that chance of failure. And I think that is still, still inside of me. And that potential failure, which I have failed numerous times on many occasions, publicly and privately, um, mm. that at the time was, I'm going to do something that when I told people I was going to do, they went, you know, even if they're yeah, okay, man, like be ready, you know, it's going to be hard. Or like, you know, I had people blatantly tell me like, Hey, that's really not, you, you know, you, you're, you're really fat. You know, you're like, <laughs> you're, you're playing JV football as a junior, man. Like you're, you're not athletic. Like, and I was just like, man, I just want to do it. You know? And that's, and, um, my, my, uh, as much as I knew about the military, like recruiters laugh when I tell them this story, um, first day of freshman year, I walked in the recruiting office and I was like, I want to be a Marine. And the recruiter at the time was like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to make you in the unofficial debt, which is the delayed entry program. <laughs> and at the time I was like, yes, awesome. <laughs> and this dude was just leveraging me. He was, he was using me as like to talk to people. So he's like, Oh, you come to the meetings every Saturday. And, you know, he gave me a t-shirt, which I thought was like, Oh man, I must be in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh man, that's hilarious! Yeah, I would just well, that's cool that he spent. It's cool that he did that for you because he wasn't. He probably wasn't going to be there by the time you were of age. So not at all. Cool. No, no. That's but right. I mean, yeah, he he got. Um, his name was probably like Griffith. I believe Sergeant Griffith. But um, he just he was able to. He leveraged it more. So, hey, go find this person. Tell them I'm looking for him. And I learned a lot. Like I learned so much about the Marine Corps hanging out at the office, doing those pulley functions. Cause I established relationships with people who joined the Marine Corps and then yeah. came back. And I mean, you know how it is being, being uh, as big as Marine Corps is, it's so small. Yeah. I mean, I've been in the PX at Camp Kinzer in Okinawa and I hear Tim and I turn around and it's like, it's a dude that I went to high school with that was two classes removed. And That's um, awesome. yeah. And I, again, transitioned through another recruiter. And then as soon as, as soon as I signed up, which is another funny story, is I went and swore in the week before September 11th. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is like, I always, I, it, and it's not like funny, but if, and I don't know how involved you were in, in the being looking at the military around that time. I was, a, I was a junior and I think my brother, I haven't taken my trip to my brother's yet. So I really, my journey started when I took a trip to my brother's at, at a Travis Air Force base. I was like, oh, he's got a nice life, you know? And then yeah. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the Air Force and I'm looking at all the nice things in the Air Force and I joined the Marine Corps, separate story. But uh, no, that was my, that was sort of my journey. And then September 11th happened later around that time. And then, yeah, I think 03, for me, it was 03 in the Iraq invasion. Okay. You know, that was, I was still in the delayed entry program, but it sounds like you were, yeah, you no, so, swore in. yeah, I swore yeah. in. I well, I finished everything I needed to swear in, but I had had shoulder surgery the year prior to join the Marine Corps. Uh, my recruiter—that was another another benefit of getting in—is 
I had a shoulder instability. And they're like, hey, you have to get this surgery. Like you might be able to get in, but you need to get the surgery if you want to be like no issues. Um, so I went up the week before September 11th and it was very, it was like, I, I look back on it and I remember going to MEPS and everybody being happy and laughing. And I had to go back to bring documents uh, the next month. And I did the whole overnight, you know, I watched mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, I think, or, or something like something that was like new and hot. Like I, I splurged like the 1899 for, for the hotel movie. Uh, that's the only one I'm going to talk about on record. But um, <laughs> I like everybody, like there were people like shaking, like there were, and this was a, an interesting part. I bet if you talk to older veterans where you saw a lot of people who, um, connected the military with, with a job vice a profession profession, which they might actually have to sacrifice a significant more than they originally intended to. Yeah. Um, and I remember like watching a dude chain smoking and I was like, are you all right? He's like, man, I ship out. And I'm like, you know, at this time, uh, I, uh, excuse me, the invasion into Afghanistan was like, I, I believe the Mew is just about to land. And I was like, Oh man, like, what are you, are you going to be like a PJ? He's like, Oh, I'm, I'm going in the coast guard, bro. They send us in first. And I was like, I respect your choice to serve. However, comma, you can probably put down those cigarettes, man. It's probably going to hurt you more than Taliban right now. Like. I love those delayed entry programs. Like when yeah. you're so, yeah, you look at each other and those are the sticker of like Coast Guard, Navy, yeah. Marine Corps. And you're all like arguing about <laughs> what you don't even know about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's another thing that's just fun because everybody's hyped up on what their what their recruiters or their relatives tell them. And, and it's, it's, especially if you stay in the Marine Corps long enough, you know, the, the funny, one of my funniest jokes or funniest things that I find is when somebody's like, Oh, do you know Jimmy Smith? I'm like, Oh yeah, he's a good guy. Like <laughs> what? he's yeah. in the national guard in Indiana. I'm like, well, I'm an active duty Marine. Like I don't. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We met yeah. in Afghanistan in 03. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, deployed nine times. Uh, spent time both in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, I talked to many that spend time in Afghanistan, uh, which by the way, is crazy now that Bagram is gone. Uh, yeah, they, you know, well. it's, it's crazy that there were another, but, uh, but in, in, in any reason I do like there, you know, I talked to Marines and other veterans that have been there in 2010, 2011, 2008, uh, 2004, you were there in 04. I get yeah. a feeling that it was a little different a little less Spartan as conditions. Is that accurate? Um, more so, um, more so. So I was very lucky in that, um, when I went to Afghanistan, we went to Korngal Valley. Um, so I worked out at Camp Blessing, which is, uh, adjacent. Now, most people know Asadabad because we actually, um, the year we were there, Asadabad went from a field to a minor air station. Um, and it Mm. became, it became a real big hub in the area prior to that. Um, Asadabad, which is, you know, down the road. Um, but it was, it was what I envisioned combat in the military to be like, we hiked everything up and down mountains, um, weeks without showers, weeks without mail, uh, a sat phone that was a, a 10 minute call once a month, one week out of the wire, a week on guard, you know, doing whatever else we needed to do. It was it was uh, it was as as austere and challenging physically, mentally, emotionally, um, and not to like be braggadocious, but we were fighting an enemy that was that was very very well trained, very well supported, adjacent to Pakistan. Um, uh, to like, and if you look, it's 
we're in that timeline. The easiest way to explain to people who aren't familiar with the area is um, third Marines came in. We were the first battalion, of, thir- three, three, but the first battalion in that lineage. And then it transferred over to um, 10th mountain. And then that the Restrepo army units came in and yeah. then you saw some of the stuff with Clint Romache and like that area was like that, a platoon to a company of insurgents, Taliban, whatever you want local, uh, you know, anti-coalition militia, whichever the title of the week was um, could, could just appear. And that was one of the things that blew my mind in comparison to some of my other combat deployments was we truly never had the advantage. Like there were times we had individuals injured um, and they hiked out. Like there was no medevac. There were times where we ran out of water. There were times where we ran out of food. There were times where we were down to, you know, two magazines, three magazines a piece, which in comparison to like tech or something isn't crazy. But when you talk to a lot of GWAT veterans, like I, I was in planning briefs for later deployments and people are like, Oh, it's going to take 12 minutes for air. Like, we don't know if this is a good situation. And you're like, man, I remember the time that we were literally getting pounded by a recoilless rifle and we waited 35 minutes for an Apache to do one gun run. And you're like, it's, it's perspective on the situation, but it, it built, um, I think it built a very, a very good foundation for me personally and professionally to, um, keep a, a calm head, which served me not even, not just in combat, but just in life. Um, mm. so it's kind of like my rant on, uh, that. And then the best part was Iraq was really kicking at that time. So I came back yeah. from that deployment and I felt like King of the world. You know, my, my thighs were like that big from hiking. My waist was like this big. I had huge traps. Like we just, I was shooting, shooting, you know, a Lance corporal who had just done a very like tough deployment and people were like, well, at least you weren't in Iraq. And I was like, like, and I was like, okay, just smile and nod, um, smile and nod every, and, but it also made me kind of appreciate the history because while I was there, I read a lot and I spent a lot of time, um, reading about Islam. So I, it, it introduced me to like cultural awareness that if I was in, I don't, I don't want to say a different environment, but like I saw others struggle in, uh, in other deployments where I was like, Hey, like learn why they do this, learn why they do that, learn this. And, um, the, I don't want to say like the, the daily interactions and especially like the IEDs, those faceless, those, cause I didn't, you know, I think we had one IED that entire deployment. Um, so it was mainly it was, just combat operators. It was, it was just, yeah, it was direct, direct fire, fire, indirect fire, ambushes, um, ro- not too many, but rocket attacks. So wow, that changes the way you look at the enemy. And, and like, even now I teach ethics um, to, to Marine leaders and when you start to dehumanize the enemy, because you see these, these, um, tactics, you know, and if you flip the script, they look at you as unethical because of what you do in life. Therefore, that's why they're going full spectrum. And it's it, but you you can look at it. But if you're in a, like when I went to Iraq in in 06, it was very, it was, it was shadow enemy. You know, if you saw somebody, you know, past a figure, past remnants, past brass, you know, that had just shot you or injured your friend or worse. um, It's hard to humanize that force but it, to me as a leader that's one of the first steps to like prevent um behavior that's irre- irreprehensible or or the like if that makes to, if that so you, well so you can keep those ethics when you don't yeah. you don't end up on youtube for uh bad incidents yeah. yeah no um i think that happened around that same time too i think it was like 2006 or something i was around uh where were you at in 2006 in iraq uh we were in haditha city 
um, India three, three again, still, um, we, we were South of the dam. Um, our, our battalion, our battalion AO went from the dam down there, down to Haklania and Barwana. If, I, if I'm remembering all the names correctly. You are, that was about Northeast of Al-Assad. If you, if you say so. Um, <laughs> I was there, yeah, I was there the same time. I was there the exact same time, except I had a very different mission. I was, yeah. I, was last, I was giving briefs on where stuff was happening to staff. Yeah, and that's one of the funny parts. Year old kid. It, it's, it's when you look at that. There's like people who drive everywhere, and they're like, "Oh, I was on route titanium Smith oxide," and I was like, "Dude, I I went to the bathroom in a bucket and burned it." and didn't walk more or didn't go farther than I could walk from my cop. <laughs> so, and yeah. if I did, I was like this, you know, cause I got a second to sleep, but yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing when you talk to someone usually, I think we even talked about that in France. Like we were like, yeah, we were in the same like AO, but you know, you just never just yeah. totally separate missions, never get to see each other. Um, you don't, you know, it's, it's the big said, the Marine Corps is very big and very small at the same time. Um, you also spent time in Southeast Asia. Uh, yeah. where I don't think, I don't think many know that anti-terrorism operations go on no. there too. Yeah. And that's, um, if you look at like, if you want to be a history nerd and you look at kind of the way Islam was spread and then also the way like the Spanish American war, um, shaped the Philippines and those other adjacent areas, it's yeah. really interesting. Um, but there is, there is, and there will be, I mean, Indonesia is just, uh, it's it's a I don't know, I hate to use the word mecca here, but it is a um, an area which is very dense in what we might consider Islamic extremists or fundamentalists, and the Philippines has a continual struggle um, containing that. Obviously, the relationship is shifting uh, strategically, uh, but historically, you know, at least in the Stuart era. We have been partnered side by side with them, especially the Marine Corps. Um, they, they work very well and enjoy, in my experience, again, um, working with the Marine Corps. And then um, MARSOC, you know, it's not too secret, has kind of adopted that advisor training direct action role in that area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I've been, um, I like to tell people when they say, oh, how was your Marine Corps experience? I was like, I have a one of a kind experience because I pretty much went operational, I call them liberty deployments, deployments where every, every deployment in the Marine Corps has the potential to become operational or, sure. but a lot of the times it ends up being more of a train, relax, liberty, train, relax, liberty. Um, yeah. So I was very lucky in that my deployments almost ping pong that pattern my entire career. Like I have friends that went to second Marine division instead of third Marine division, like I did. And they went to the same town in Iraq three times in a row. Ugh. And I was like, Oh man, I just came back from five countries in the Pacific. Then I went to Afghanistan and then I went to Iraq and they're like, Oh man, like I'm getting out. I'm like, this is great. I'm, I'm staying in. Like I, I actually you got asked the, what you, <laughs> you got the, you got the up and down, you got yes. the peak and valley. And then so. I also picked it up with the exception of, um, I went, I went to fast company after Fleet Anti-Terrorism Security Team Company because I was told that the war in Iraq was slowing down, which at that time it was. I, I had a very kinetic 2006 deployment, but the writing was kind of on the wall that the tribes were changing and shifting um, and becoming more aware of kind of what the um, coalition could bring. 
Afghanistan at the time was winding down as well because we weren't really paying attention to what was happening in Helmand and whatnot because that was under British control. Um, so I said, hey, you know, I talked to my gunny who had the ribbons, you know, over the over his shoulder and around his back. And I said, hey, you know, gunny, what's up? Like, where do I need to go to not be bored? You know, I was a single guy. Um, <laughs> and, and he was like, man, go to Fast Company. He's like, you're either going to be in, in the Liberty ports nobody goes to or you're going to be shooting guns where there's no other Marines. And I said, roger that, sign me up. And, um, I went to fast company and, and, and similar, um, while I didn't have any kinetic deployments, we had some operational uh, roles and, you know, we went forward and I trained with crazy units. Uh, you know, we worked with, uh, the IDF for a while and then some of the special forces in Israel, um, Spanish forces, Portuguese forces. Um, we did a deployment to the Pacific and got to work with some of the Japanese units and then went down to the Philippines. I was actually on a merchant marine vessel, which a lot of people don't know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and so those, if you look and it's even in all of the uh, big op planning, the MU, the Marine Expeditionary Units go ashore with, we'll call it X amount of days of supplies. The plan to reinforce them are these merchant marine vessels, which are just loaded to bear with, you know, tanks, quad cons full of camis, you name it. Um, and the one that was, in my assumption, supporting the 31st Mew, since it was the only one in the AOR, um, was in and around the Philippines. And we had a 15-man Marine detachment and a small Navy detachment. So as a very young sergeant, I was the senior enlisted Marine on a boat, you know, and it was like, I learned a lot of stuff there that prepared sure. me um, for a lot of cool stuff, but it was, again, I talked to my peers during that period. That period was January, 2007 to, um, March, 2012, no, 10, sorry. Yeah, 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the three years that I spent there, that was kind of where stuff was very quiet. Marja had just kicked off as I was getting orders, um, as I was up for orders. And so when Marja kicked off, called the monitor, Hey, I'm up for orders. And he's like, where do you want to go? And I was like, first Marine division, you know, always first Marine division. Like that's, and, and that's, that's yeah. at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. and, um, he's like, okay, I got you. Um, three, five. Okay. Okay. Good to go. Um, three, five. Um, for some reason or another, I called and asked to extend my orders 30 days and, or to push it out 30 days to like go to a wedding or something stupid, you know, like something that I valued at the time. Sure. Um, <laughs> and they shifted me to two five. Um, and depending on how you look at fate, three, five went out the door to Sangin and I went to two five. I watched three, five leave and was like, wonder if that, wonder how that's going to go. Like in retrospect, they had a very, very um, arduous deployment as well. But two five, we ended up going on, uh, the Mew that did the uh, earthquake is that there or typhoon uh, typhoon relief that, Tomodachi. Okay. Yep, yep, um, yep, 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 yep. And then we we came back and went to uh, um and did and did a did an operational deployment there. Got you. I uh, man, so you did nine nine deployments in how many years? Um, my, my last deployment was with was with three eight. So technically. That was 14. So technically 12 years. 12, nine deployments in 12 years. Yeah. Cause That's, my last three years was, was at the staff and CO Academy where I was not uh, in a deployed nature. 
about time, <laughs> finally. Um, yeah, three eight. Uh, that time at the Black Sea Rotational Force Crisis Response, like you said, it was not kinetic, but it could have been at any time. And we did have a chance to go kinetic at one point. I remember being in, sitting in Italy for about three oh, weeks. That Wait was. <laughs> waiting to see having to argue myself on that mission three well i, I, I didn't uh colonel hall did like he argued for me to be on that mission three separate times every time a new cg would come in or a new yeah. command staff um uh but I, I, which was greatly appreciated but uh that was probably the most clandestine mission in the marine corps that's never been told now yeah i feel like uh and the best part about it was it, it should be like an 80s movie because it was like week one and it would be like a map of like how we're going to do it. And everyone trains. And then like on the fifth day, somebody goes, actually we have sharks with lasers. And they're like, oh, like, and I'm, like I'd be in these briefs and I'd be like, so we're just, we just going to forget. Everything. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, I think we got like, to set the scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we don't, we're talking about, we haven't even, yeah. we haven't even so we had a company of Marines in Tripoli reinforcing the embassy, looking to evacuate the embassy. Yes. And but the the embassy evacuation was coming because of turmoil. And so the us being the company reinforced and reinforced is probably the most underrated term if you're familiar with (laughs) um, operational vocabulary, because reinforced usually means like add three to four to a group of 15. This was our company was 300 plus, which is wild as an infantry unit like my. As a, as a platoon sergeant, when I looked at the EDL, I, I, the equipment density list that lists every, and I was like, I don't even know what some of this stuff is. And like, I'd find the Marine with it. I'd be like, Hey, hard charger. Like, can you tell me my, my old, you know, deuce gear wearing staff sergeant behind? And he'd be like, staff sergeant, I don't know what this is. They gave it to me and told me it was a thermal site. And I'd be like, well, let's play with it until we figure it out. Like, we had all this, wow. we had, we had so much crazy gear, but anyway, we're yeah. in, we're in Marone, um, just eating all the chow and making all the locals angry because there's <laughs> way too many Marines there. And they're like, Oh, gear up. We're rolling out. We're going, you know, we're going to do some, uh, some, some stuff they're going to make a movie about. And yep. what happens? They fly us forward to Italy. They put us in barracks that were not meant to hold that many people. Uh, 40 years ago and <laughs> tell us we have pretty much like a three second tether. Like we're the ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you got, you could get to be within an hour of your gear. I remember and yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't drink. And I'm like, I'm in Sicily with yeah. wine. Well, it was <laughs> after like the first three plans got shelved. I was I like drinking. I didn't we're, care. Not, we're not going <laughs> like I'm concerned. Like, cause it, and it wasn't like, we're going to land in a, no, we're going to land in B. It was like, fast ropes no uh this that this and there's gonna be this and it's like and and being older and being more skeptical so like as yeah. as a staff and ceo i probably misstepped here because i was still kind of i'll call myself immature i was like there's like nine people who can do this better than us in my <laughs> like you got you got fast because i had been from i was like this is a fast like there's a few times like this is a fast mission yeah. Fa- and they're like, no, we're going to fast rope with this 50 cal. I was like, that's a bad idea. Like, <laughs> they'd be like, all right, we're going to call the F-15s. I was like, that, that's, 
Like, That's a little bit of what are we doing? Yeah. We're, we're supposed yeah. to just we're supposed to we're, we're literally getting the embassy staff out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. what, you know, uh, you know, after the Mew came in, and I realized that they, they had their own combat. You know, I was like, well, they have their own combat camera. That's when I started drinking. I was like, you know, because yeah. what it was, it was us. We were the primary, and then we became the secondary of the Mew, and then the Mef yeah. CJ came in with his own staff. And yeah. at, at that point, I was like, okay, I'm probably tertiary at this point. Uh, I knew we were like as soon as we the flew wine? over there, I knew we were tertiary. Like I was like, this is. <laughs> Uh, like I watched this guy like barely able to open an MRE and we're, we just gave him a site. He doesn't know how to open. <laughs> but, but, I, but, I, but I mean, you, you guys probably were probably tertiary, but like as a combat camera guy, I could have inserted at any point, you know? So I, and, and I, and I was, but, uh, I remember when I, when I came over and met up with you guys in France that day, they kicked off the mission and I was like, you got, and they, and they knew, and it was a rip too at the same time. Right. So, uh, which is a, you know, they basically they're changing forces for anybody that place, doesn't yeah. know. It. Yeah. So, um, they had the public affairs officer that she didn't go on the mission. She didn't, she didn't, she got a photo of, she didn't argue with herself on the mission. She got a photo of them coming back, which is fine. Um, but probably the most clandestine mission in the Marine Corps. I mean, you thought to, if you think about it, SUVs, up armored, uh, Ospreys, 17 hour drive into Tunisia, getting picked up and, and finally flying into Italy and evacuating the entire embassy at the same time. Yeah. And uh, I've actually, that's another great part. If you stick around and you find out that stuff like that happens more and more. And it's not, uh-huh. it's not necessarily too clandestine. Like you say, it's just, it's so low vis and they run so smoothly. Um, like if you told me that story when I was 18, I'd be like, Oh, they're lying. You know, but now I'm like, I hear stories from my friends in Marsoc that are doing Africa missions or, you know, even anywhere. Like there's stuff all over Asia and Iraq and in the Middle East right now that is there are people just doing jobs and they're doing them so well. And yeah. Um, and the other thing I learned, too, just to that point about combat camera is how many other people are involved in those processes. And you'll meet um, this this weird job and that weird job. and they have a role in those things. It's not all like, you know, pipe hitters and trigger pullers. Like we might, uh, we might assume there was, a, there was a, and this will be in the archives by the time your episode comes out, his name is James. Uh, it's got, he's got, has a complicated last name. So if you look through my archives, you'll find it. And he was part of a task force and I can't, I can't hit my brain right now, but it, it'll be in the archives. Uh, he was part of a unit in East Germany as a secret, like if world war three kicked off, mm-hmm they would break the top, they would break like the train tracks. That's um, awesome. yeah. So it, it's, 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 yeah. And it was, I can't remember what it was, but you, I'll, I'll point it out to you when it comes out. Yeah. It's, it's, it'll be in the archives by the time this comes out, but it's not in the archives yet. So, uh, yeah, like you say, there's more and more units like that, that you, you learn about and you're like, geez, that's pretty dang cool. Yeah. Um, so while you were in give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor. Cool, man. Um, that is a hard, that is a hard question. Um, I thought it was like most, gonna, I most, I most, most influential. But, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm gonna switch. Um, I would say like the, the biggest influence I had, um, he's, he's still in Sergeant Major Don Hernandez. Um, he is, he's actually the RS Dallas Sergeant Major. So if you're looking to join the Marine Corps, hit him up. Um, but it was, it's, it was a combination, I think of, of his leadership style and also timing. Um, I think those people who might consider themselves careerists or people, oh, I've made, I've made it, I'm going to stay in. They have like this moment where they pivot. And for me, that was as a very senior corporal, I was about to pick up Sergeant. 
And he, he kind of came in with like that, uh, almost cliche, tough love. Like it was, it wasn't, Hey, like you need to get right. Like one of the first times, like I was a senior corporal. So I thought I was the cat's pajamas. I told my guys to police call and we were in a rush and, and I like, okay, I'll get on the bus. And I was like, Hey, staff sergeant, thumbs up. And he's like, Oh, okay. He went and checked and he's like, Hey, come here, man, throw your gear on the bus. Um, I want to, I want to explain the next couple of days. And, and like, he literally took all the guys back and made me pick up everything that they had missed. Like, so here I am, like at the time in the Marine Corps three deployment corporal picking up trash for PFCs and privates. And I was like, I was steaming, but by the time he came back, he, he, and that was just like the first time he's like, Hey, this is why we're doing it. But there are a lot of moments I, I got to, to deploy with him twice um, for those fast deployments, but I just stayed in touch with him. And I, he was always someone I could ask advice for. I could also, he was, while he was a person who could be admired, he had his faults, he owned them and he pushed like he wasn't the perfect Marine. That's important. That's important to, to, it, to recognize. It was relatable. And that was a lot of times we, we don't see that in our higher staff NCOs. At least I didn't as, as a younger guy, you look at these guys and you only see what they want you to see or what the command wants you to see. So to have somebody who, you know, like, Oh man, you know, Hey, staffs aren't drunk. Like, Oh yeah. But I was like, why, who cares? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> not at work, like on Liberty, like you saw him on Liberty yeah. having a good time. Yeah. You saw him, yeah. you he saw him like, yeah, you saw him come in after Super Bowl Sunday and look a little groggy. Like he wasn't, you know, but at the same time, like, okay, hey, throw PT gear on. Um, and I'm going to explain why this is important. Technically, tactically proficient, just, just an all around, um, very influential person. And, and the reason I would say my mentor is because mentorship to me strays beyond that chain of command. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call him my mentor while he was at my unit because he was my, my staff and CO. But once we broke that obligate where I felt like he was obligated to develop me and in, in retrospect, he was, he was just being a good staff and CO to a young corporal, young sergeant or, um, once that obligation was tied and he was still invested in my success and then also sharing with me those moments um, and advice and, and giving me advice, even when it wasn't necessarily asked for um, that kind of like cemented that, that role for me and, and how I felt about it. Um, but yeah, I, I would say um, e- 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 easy choice on that. I have a lot of great, great leaders and people who I rely on like Lieutenant sure. Colonel Justin Bellman. Um, he's, he's out there still, he was my first platoon commander. And, mm-hmm. and when I say like, we checked in on like, it was one of those great Marine Corps stories. You like check in on Monday and they're like, you're going to SIF tomorrow and you're going to the field on Tuesday night. And you're like, Oh my God, like we're out there in the rain, like don't even know how to put on our flak jacket. And he comes out and he's like, Hey guys, I'm a boot like you. And you're like, did the Lieutenant just say that? He's like, I checked it. Like I saw you guys checking in not me too. You know? And <laughs> But like a cartoon. Yeah. It was like, it was like, this is like, how, what is this relationship going to look like? But he was just, um, to me in all the officers I've seen, uh, somebody to look up to, but it's, it's, he's because of his professional, uh, success while he's always there when I text or call him and I, I still see him. I saw him a, a couple months ago. Um, I didn't cool. have like that daily, like Don Hernandez just happened to PCS would be to Pendleton. PCS with me to lose you. So like, he's always oh, wow. been, yeah, he's always been down been the around. block, which is uh kind of, you know, reinforce that. And then what, especially when I needed it at times. So 
you got out in 20, so you, you know, you talk about being alive, 2017, you talk about being a lifer. Uh, at the time we first did our interview, I thought you were going to be a lifer. You got out early, just like I did. Uh, why did yeah. you decide to get out? So um, I think it was a combination of previous experiences, understanding where the Marine Corps was going, feeling what I did or didn't bring um, to, to the Marine Corps. Cause at the time it was, you know, I, I took uh, temporary early retirement Tara as we, okay. we call it. Yep. Um, to me, like my body physically was deteriorating, not to yep. the point of like not being useful, but, but you saw I it coming. But you saw well, it coming. I just remembered staff and COs and I, not that I was like a PT stud by any means, but it was a lot harder to be average. Yeah. And, and to me, I was like, what service am I, am I doing to my Marine Corps or to my Marines as an infantry staff and CO? Um, and then to be completely honest, the, that was an influencing factor. But a deciding factor was I kind of caught the bug for where I wanted to go in life while I was teaching at the academy. And that was in the field of education. That's so important. Yeah. And I just I could like it was no there was no way I could leave the academy because I was going to go back to the fleet 150%, no other options. Um, and complete, I was, um, two semesters away from my bachelor's, which was all my internships, which was some like a 17. And that was, that's two, that's two full semesters. So, you know, when you're taking a college active duty, you're not, you're not very, you're not often taking four to five classes. You're taking one to two. Yeah. So they probably would have been the equivalent. It would have taken a, a year long journey, two to three years, yeah. you know? So yeah. that was, I just, I sat down and I talked to my wife and I, and I was like, what do I want to do? Like, I, do I want to be a Marine or do I want to start this, you know, new journey? journey. Next yeah. chapter is like another cliche term, but I was like, I can, and I, I'm, I was, I'm at a unit where I can take time to myself. I can coordinate all these hectic parts. Um, you know, cause if I catch orders to Pendleton or Hawaii and try to do it there or try to gauge the temperature there, what you gotta, extra, you gotta, re, you gotta reset a little yes. bit. You gotta make sure that you're committed to the unit before you commit to yourself. Exactly. So um, I, and I was, uh, I just had like that, that discussion and I said, well, you know, let's, I think a lot of people are worried financially. And I, and I said to myself, I said, okay, well, the pay is good. And I'm, I'm a, like a big proponent of military pay being considered good. Um, yeah. people are like, what do you mean? And I was like, I, I got listened to like a PFC was like, oh, I get paid 47 cents an hour. And I'm like, you're lying. Cause you're not working all the time. I just saw you on your phone. Uh, <laughs> you know what healthcare costs? Do you, do you? Cause it, it, it's, it's more than you. And I, 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 I do, I did like, you, an old you, go, you go through the whole spiel there. Yeah. Like I yeah. was like shaking my fist and like stuff like, like this happened like two months ago. Oh, wow. um, but anyway, I was like, financially, I understood what would come with, with the retirement. I was like, okay, that's like healthcare. That's one of the big things that I would consider an anchoring attribute to stay in the military. Oh, I can transfer that. A small pension, um, that suffices. I know I'm going to be an active student. We can, we can count that as a reliable income source. I consider myself fairly employable. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not below you know, doing what some, and I, and I did, I went into, I went into teaching public, uh, public school, which was horrid pay. Um, I hate to say <laughs> it, I, I, but it's, it's, I was unlicensed. So I was like the lower pay bracket. Yeah. Um, but with that, I just, you know, I just kind of leaped and I said, 
I'm ready to go. Um, my wife was, was fine with, with that decision. And then I kind of put the pieces in line and then just, you know, as, as they say, Irene and went with it. It's important that you recognize your next passion and it's even more important that you acted on it. It was I, like, so when I got to the staff and CEO Academy, I had um, about five classes done, not even maybe four um, classes done with AMU. And it, my goal was to be something in the emergency management because to me, O3 brain solving problems fit into that, um, yeah. you know, delegation and leadership. And I got to the academy and they make you do an orientation course. And we started learn, excuse me, learning about educational approaches and learning styles and all these things that just were very interesting to me. But more importantly, as, as a staff and CEO, as a leader of, of large groups, you end up teaching a lot. And you realize, oh, man, it works when I say this. If I do this with my hands while I say this, they retain and seeing that those were actual practices that had like, you know, doctor dissertations written about it. And you're like, man, I figured this out. I, I, I now understand the name for the thing that I'm doing, you know, at this lowest level. Yeah. And that just like, I was like, oh man, I wonder how I can refine this. I wonder. And I, and I, I like to think that I ran with it um, at the Academy. I got very in, involved in the um, program, but as soon as that, I went to that course, I, I, uh, I pretty much just said, Hey, I'm going to switch. Um, I'm going to transition away from emergency management. Um, a BA in education is going to be my goal. I went for an associates first, just because of the way the military looks at degrees. And I also yeah. wanted to, tri I liked AMU, but I wanted to get my bachelor's um, from a school that I could go and sit down and meet teachers locally sure. to North Carolina. Gotcha. Um, so I went to UNCW. I, I finished that and then started at UNCW. Um, and you're most to that. Your most recent, uh, the viral meme of you graduating yeah. in the rain, uh, was that for your master's degree, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, if you've, uh, if you've been on Reddit or LinkedIn or anything, you'll see the, <laughs> the picture of the guy, Marining, the Marine Marine. Yeah. And, and the, the best part about all that was, it was, I think my favorite thing was that different people saw a different meaning in that. And I'm going to tell you, I was just happy. I was happy to be there. Rain was on the forecast, which is why they handed out ponchos and I was just taking it all in and it started to dribble. It started to dribble. And I said, oh, this is going to, this is going to, you know, as we say in the military piss on us and it just went and everyone lost their mind, like shrieking and running. And I understand that some of them had makeup and hair and I just, I just smirked. I'm looking at you as your yeah. bald right now. Yeah, right. I mean, and I was, I, and I, I, well, I did find some amusement in like remaining stoic amongst yeah. chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, 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 and I say this, like it's, it's a family effort. I think everybody like, that like makes any type of achievement academically says, Oh, you know, I couldn't do this without my family support. And like, I was very proud of this. Like this was probably one of the proudest moments of my life because I balanced working 40 to 50 hours a week, the entire time during my degree. Um, and you know, working inside charity, working inside, you know, tr finding all these other little passions and hobbies. And I was there and I was like, this is going to last 40 minutes life. Like just, I'm just happy. And just soak it in literally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> and then, and then I was just, I, I, it, it, I posted it with like a short reflection to, to the same effect, kind of like, Hey, I'm here. Who I took the photo? 
Um, one of my one of my best friends, Johnny Lopez, okay. uh, who I've I've been with, been best buds with since two thousand and seven. So, okay. um, yeah, he was the only one that wanted to come and, and hang out in the because it was raining. We didn't bring the family because it's two hours north and rain and and all those shenanigans. Um, and I posted it, and it just whoo, and that was on LinkedIn. I was like, this is on link. Like I've yes. never seen anything viral on LinkedIn, and then it I- just. LinkedIn now has a more open algorithm than the other social media. So like, you know, as you get as, and this goes into social media strategy, as you get into Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those have established bases of, of followers, like of people that have joined that platform. Mm -hmm. So they have squeezed those algorithms down to where they're like, Oh, if you want to go viral, you're going to need to pay to be a sponsored ad. Really? Yeah. That's the, that's kind of the goal. Now LinkedIn is still, it's starting to do that. But at the time now, and three years ago, if you posted anything, any, anybody that followed you would see it because the, the, the sprinkler yeah. space goes wide open. So it's, it's a little, and, and it's for social media people, they're looking for the next platform, but you were on that platform at that time, exactly when yeah. the algorithm is still fairly open. And then it, it started to splinter. So I was getting a lot of shares. The mute, the views got, it was, it was over like eight or seven or 800,000 like within the first three or four days and then the wow. connections and the adjacent shares and then the people who would rip the post and share it. And I'd get tagged in that. And then it spread to Facebook. Um, I saw it on Reddit. Reddit was like the only place where it was negative. Like everywhere else was like, Oh man. Oh, Reddit hates everybody. If you, if you, <laughs> if you didn't know that it was, uh, I think I I'm like, it. It, it's on the, like, uh, I'm super tough. It's like r slash I'm super tough. And it's, it's, it's whatever. Like I just yeah. laughed cause I, yeah. I didn't even reply. And then the other thing too, is I think I got a lot of connections off LinkedIn because there were people who dropped into my, to my LinkedIn post and had negative things to say, which blows my mind. Like if you're on LinkedIn to be negative, um, <laughs> like be any I was accused, I was accused of like being misogynistic because the females had their hair and makeup done. And I was downplaying that they cared about that. I had somebody else tell me that I was like, I had several people tell me that I was stupid because I didn't bring or use my poncho. And I was just like, Hey, you know, thanks for the comment. I really appreciate your insight. Um, I was kind of just living in the moment or the, the one about the, the hair and makeup or, you know, cause you know, That's it's the internet. Interesting. People are like, what if they had an allergy to hypoallergenic rain or, and I was just like, is, but I got, you know, I got like you a know, few you know <laughs> and back in, you know, when people go in front of like an art gallery and they just look at it and they come up with their own interpretation, it's art, yeah. man. It's yes. art. And I, and just, uh, I would take that as go, man, that was real art because people took away what they wanted to take away from it. Yeah. Right. And, and having a real emotion. So whatever. Yeah. Whatever. And that's, it's been, um, and that was what I also really liked about it was that it kind of splintered into, you know, it was a meme, find the veteran, find the Marine. It was, <laughs> you know, live in the moment. It was all these things. But it also made it made military service resonate with some people yes. because they saw an analogy or a metaphor might be a better way to say it of like when you're in college and people are worried about white noise. I call it white noise. And and I I say this, I don't say it as much in the collegiate atmosphere, but I used to say it a lot when I taught at the Staff and Sierra Academy, but nobody's losing their legs today. Yeah. Like there is nothing yeah. in the realm of stressors that we can't take a deep breath and, 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 and some people saw that I didn't mention, it, but some people saw that in the picture and yes, I mean, for a lot of veterans or people who have served in the military and been in, in what, what we could consider stressful, they've built resiliency. They built yeah. mental resiliency, physical resiliency. You can find in that photo and they harness it 
quietly. Um, one of the one of the business people said, "Hey, th- this represents soft skills. These are soft skills that veterans bring to the table. That while rain that may, like and be honest, like some people's days were ruined. Like they had they had planned a photo shoot or something, and they were so mad." Vice looking at being at the top, like to me, being at the top of this little mountain and just loving it, like love it. And then like, I also was the, the doctorate degrees were being bestowed adjacent to us. Like they were the next row over. And I was looking, I was like, Oh, I can't like, I had already applied. Yeah. I was like, I'm so stoked. Like, I can't wait to be, you know, two rows over, you know, with the funny hat and just, just crushing it and like give a piece of work to be analyzed and published and used as reference, um, you know, through my research, like make an impact, um, in the academic community with a doctorate in education. And like, that's like, I was all pumped up. Like I was on cloud nine and again, like people make different connections to different. And then some people are just like, embrace the suck, you know, like, yeah, like <laughs> that's art, yeah. man. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming you're using, you use your GI bill. Obviously I've probably, yes. I've, I've probably gone through that whole thing. No, How else you, no, I have about four or five months left. So I'm going to be, I'm going to use that to start my, my, um, to start my doctorate or starting technically I'm in, I'm in it now. Um, classes start this coming month. Um, but then after that, I'm going to be using chapter 35 because my wife is also, um, a veteran. She's a combat engineer and, and she earned her, um, permanent in total, which, um, pushes to me the option to use, Chapter, th- are you familiar with chapter 35? No. Uh, again, I work for the BA, but the whole part of this podcast is to like learn stuff so other people can hear it as well. Oh, that's great. So, <laughs> one of the things, um, as a 100% permanent and total disabled veteran, you have the, I don't want to say your, your spouse or your child has the option to apply and be approved for 36 months of educational benefits that work. They work more closely like the Montgomery. Is this voc rehab or no? No, no, I was, I was, really? denied, so I was denied for voc rehab actually. Okay. Um, gotcha. So this is come with something completely separate. Yeah. Gotcha. And it's, it was a great asset and it's to my wife. Cause when my wife was, was rated, um, which happened actually right around the time that I graduated, I was like, Hey, like I'm going to have to take a loan. Like I'm going to kind of like do this. And, and I was like, it's worth it. And she got, she got her rating, uh, reviewed and it's a thousand dollars, you know, at the time of my review, it's a thousand dollars a month for 36 months that you're in school. There's no housing, there's no books, there's no tutoring, there's no equipment. It's just straight. Yeah. So, and, and the tuition is going to come out for, for where I'm going to be about 1800 every two months. So I'll have maybe, you know, $200 to pay for whatever I need to off to the side and pop and, um, and, and take the rest in my pocketbook. Um, but it's a, it's a great benefit. It's going to go, there'll be, there'll be some left for if, if our son needs it. Um, wow. yeah, no, I was denied for Vogue rehab, um, due to, I mean, I have, I have a very good job. Um, I yeah. love my job right now, but it doesn't, um, I, I don't say I was, I, I wasn't qualified. That'd be a better way to say it. Um, gotcha. it, it doesn't aggravate my injuries and I'm looking to get a degree while it would increase my employability at current time. Um, by, by current economic standards, I'm, I'm very, I'm very well employed. So. You're doing well, you're doing well. Um, so yeah. And, and, and we do have a full benefits breakdown of, of, uh, VRNE is called now veteran readiness and education program. Uh, used to be called Rogue rehab. Uh, so real quick chapter 35, what's the program called? 
chapter 35. Chapter 35. Yeah. There's no, there's no like, yeah, there's no cool name. or no, GI Bill or no, something. No, it's not okay. like the Fry Scholarship Noted. that has a name or anything. It's, yeah. it's chapter, th- just like um, chapter 31, and, and but it's, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's an educational benefit. It makes sense. It's, it's for those that, you know, to increase your livelihood through better education and training. You have to apply for it. Um, but I had no, when, it, when I say I had no issues, I applied. You have to, um, it's not, it's not as broad. It's, it's kind of like voc rehab where you have to have a very specific direction and end goal. Yeah. Um, but you put in your school, your major, why you're going to do it. I think I had to put in my uh, GPA from previous classes and I, I found out almost within 30 days via mail. So wow. I was, I was stoked. I was very much, very much happy about that. So this is you, you one of the things that you have to be is a hundred percent permanent in total. Your for your spouse or child to rate it, yes. Okay, got you. So, Noted. Yeah, and it's not you can't use it as your own benefit because you get you you're probably more inclined to get vo, uh, vocate voc rehab if you are in that category. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's so your the fact that your spouse was you were able to take right. it. Okay, got right. you, got you. Um, how else are there any other unique ways that you're subsidizing your education that people should probably know about? Um, I was because of be, being married with a child there, I didn't, uh, partake in them, but there's a lot of great internships, which will either, um, put you on campus doing what you need to do. You can earn credits. Um, if depending upon what you're, and if you're not familiar, a lot of bachelor's and master's programs have some type of intensive part at the end, whether it's a, a, um, dedicated internship or needing hours. Like for my bachelor's, I had a required number of hours and it was, it was pretty wild. It was, you know, a couple hundred hours in a semester. And, you know, a semester is while it is 16 weeks, you don't like, it's not day one. You have to, it's a window of that semester. I want to say we had like six to eight weeks to get, I was in the school three days a week doing five to eight hours, just observing and student teaching and it wasn't paid. So I had to take time off from work, but a lot of times there's internships at the, the um, not necessarily the university, but at the college, specific college or program level that you can partake in that will either earn you credit or suffice for those, those times. And if you get involved in them early, you're going to be at the front end of them. Like they, they're very much either, um, I don't want to say uh, they're a very small window. So being in the know, being connected and some of them pay. They're, they're out, so they wouldn't be internships, but they're, they're part-time employment that makes you more proficient and then builds better professional connections. Because those, those doctors and those um, professors that you work with, the faculty, they're writing letters. They're on boards of acceptance. Like there's a lot of, I met a lot of great people um, that I was planning on doing a, the doctorate program at ECU and the connections that I made through these events, through talking to people, um, definitely facilitated my progression in the application process. I, I decided gotcha. to switch because um, we're, we're open to moving. Um, so I, okay. if, if I had done that, it was a, a program where you are either there or you're not. And if you're not, you're gone. Uh, so I needed one that had more of a uh, distance and virtual connection. Very good. Very good. Uh, pursuing your doctorate in, in adult education. Uh, I see you again, like you talked about your substitute teaching. At, you, you were substitute teaching at local schools. Uh, I think you're uh, an instructor at, in defense contracting. Yeah. Uh, what are you discovering as your passion in this journey? And what do you want to do with all these degrees in education awesome. at the end of your doctorate? 
So, and that's, it's really funny the way you shape that. It's like, so what do you want to do now? And it's, <laughs> I have found, and this, it, it, it's, when I first started, I was like, oh, I love teaching. I love finding ways to teach in yeah. my current role. Um, yeah, you so post I'm, a lot about, you post a lot about that. Yeah. So, so in my, in my yeah. current role, I get to hire and train adjunct faculty. So part-time instructors for our program that we employ. And work with them and, and doing faculty development is great. Um, it's very easy for me to get you like one, tell me one thing you, you know, nothing about. Tell me one thing you know, nothing about, uh, archery. Okay. If I teaching you <laughs> archery, if I'm an archery master is, is going to be like, Hey, here are the most important steps. If there's almost, you're not going to be like, Hey, don't you want to tweak your arm? Or one time I did this. So when you get into a realm of, professional development. And I really love that word professional because there's a difference between a job, having an occupation and having a profession where they have a baseline of knowledge and experience, which is also unique to adult learners. So adult education and education of of children under 18, you know, andragogy, pedagogy, very different audiences. Okay. You know, we're, we need to establish relevance and stuff versus listen. Um, But when you work on professional development, especially in education, it's, if I'm teaching you how to do archery versus how to write a paper, very it's it's this broad area that we all could have different strengths and weaknesses in. But now if I'm instructing you or not instructing you, mentoring you might be a better word, I get to access and harness those. And then as well, I have to appreciate, respect, and understand those. So connecting with these educators of adults who already have experience is just it's so enjoyable to me because I am I'm not telling somebody that knows nothing about something and I have a bunch of papers that say I'm an expert. So they're going to immediately assume that I'm right. I have people who are actively thinking and while they're being professional about it, they might say, Hey, well, like what, what if this happens? Or one time this happened for me and it kind of builds this mental agility and problem solving. And that, and that's the goal of the degree. So my master's degree was, you know, we'll call it, it was, it was two years. I want to say it was like 14 classes. Only about four of those, five of those related to teaching. The rest were about curriculum development, program development, things like outreach, building. Yeah. How to to address professionals, how to how to understand the the most um, efficient ways to do processes and and refine and build programs, which is great. We had people we had somebody that was that uh, had worked for Harley in the training and, and education or development part. We had people who were dentists that were working at the dental school, we, you know, we had everything we had. Yeah. It sounds like it's were, very cross it industry, is. you know, it's, uh, it's, there, these, these are skills that can go anywhere. Yeah. So with the doctorate, yeah. um, what I hope to do, it, it's going to be a concentrate in higher education leadership, um, taking over larger spanses of that same niche. So right now we're teaching a very specific audience, a set of curriculum. And I, I do love curriculum development. I find it very interesting. Um, the nerd in me likes looking at data and then comments and then putting it in the matrix and spitting out a solution or identifying a problem, yeah. um, which is part of educational programming. Um, but at the higher level, processes, um, developing people to do what I just referenced, like because I am very lucky in that I have 15 plus years of human interaction and experience. Dealing with Marines, dealing with military service members from all walks of life, poor, rich, different races, different creeds, sexual orientations, 
Um, and we're, we're lucky in that the goal is assimilation, um, which in the military, and that's one of the things that I've, I kind of reflected on is that my whole career, I've looked at any difference as something that should be avoided and not focused on Absolutely. because we want one team, one fight. Well, in Absolutely. the civilian world, and this was, this was very, um, I don't want to say like revolutionary for me, but I found that that is horrible. Like that you, you should, you need to find what they can bring to the table not only for value added, but also those in their individual experiences are going to change the filter they put on you. And I found that being a, and you know, all, all jokes aside, being a white male veteran in his late thirties, like there were people that I realized didn't talk to me on the forums, didn't talk to me in class. And when I became cognizant of that, I was like, Oh, you know what? I bet they have an assumed opinion of what my, what I'm going to say or how I'm going to react. And well, I can respect that, not engage. I can show them that I don't have those and maybe me go to them or maybe me say, hey, I believe my opinion is this shaped by this. What do you think or what different experience? That has like my professional communication skills and understanding of, um, I don't want to say an old, an old white dude's opinion on modern, uh, I don't want to say. Society. Like, yeah. Contemporary, like in the, in this contemporary society we live in people are very quick to make sure you understand their perspective and background and the, a lot of veterans are like it doesn't matter like we're all we're all americans we're all massachusetts yeah. like but in reality what that does is it kind of mutes them or they make them down you. it yeah, shuts it down it, it builds a, i can see where it can build a wall exactly and and, yeah. and there's just as i may see um somebody who wears purple hair you know, as, oh, I bet they are, you know, a Braves fan or something, you know what I mean? Some other type of assumption. They're going to look at me being what they see and people, they're going to put me in a box, you know, because I have cargo shorts and a Marine Corps shirt on that. Oh, I bet they have this opinion. I bet they have that. And it's important to understand where, where people come from. It's an, it, that is an important aspect of, of building relationships. Um, but under, also understanding that it also can't hinder that relationship as well is also yes. important. So especially um, professionally. And that's, that's one of the things that was, was also kind of exciting for me is the um, profession of education. Historically, you're going to have more of a, a group that is less likely to serve in the military. You know, we like regiment, we like box, we like solutions that can be acronyms. And then you have this group where it's all theory and it's all like, if this, the then why. maybe that. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. it's, um, being a male, especially in my elementary education, which I tell a lot of my friends, like as a, um, as a combat arms veteran going into this degree program, I would be understating if I told you 92% were females between the ages of 18 and 25. So at the time I was like 30, 30 year old male. Like I still looked like a Marine and it was just like, <laughs> Like, I'm like, no, I'm not going to talk about feelings. Like, like, <laughs> one, of these, like, one of these does not look like the others. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, it, it look, I look like Billy Madison, like in some of the classes, like I just be like looking around and I'd be like, ah, oh, no. I belong here. Trust me. I'm not like from the supervisor's office. I was, <laughs> I, I was there like that in Syracuse when the Marine Corps sent me to Syracuse and I was like a 26. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. And they, had, we were surrounded by 18 year olds and we had all the, all these experiences and they, and they did not, and they gave their own opinions on experiences 
of it. And, and so, yeah, it, it did feel like a, a little bit of a Billy Madison moment. Absolutely. But again, there, it's not that their opinions weren't valid or anything. It's just the fact that they just hadn't had that experience. And it was, it was great interaction with those kids um, because you learn, you learn stuff, they learn stuff. It's, it's, it's a, a, yeah. a, an experience. So um, let's talk about some things that you've done after to heal after service. Uh, oh, both, absolutely. The, both the body and mind, you know, you talked about being a fat kid. Uh, I, I really, I, I'm, I look at you now and I'm like, you are in better shape now than you were when I met you in France. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm uh so I, I, well, I, I've always been a, an avid distance runner. I've kind of, I, I used to call it functionally fat. I was functionally fat in the Marine Corps. <laughs> Find out how to make all your first sergeants mad. Like study, study, study for weigh-ins and still get low first-class PFTs. Yes. Like. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I was, I was skinny, but I gained weight in the Marine Corps and I'll admit I, for the first five years after I got out, uh, I physically let myself go, you know, um, and seeing you and seeing others on my Instagram, uh, it's a little inspiring. Uh, you know, so I've started that journey myself. It's awesome. Uh, what are you doing in your time off to work on that stuff? So I, I, uh, like a lot of people, I struggled to find not necessarily, I don't like, I had direction. I, I had my support network had all has always been very dense. I've been very lucky to maintain what I call different cohorts of friends. While all my friends would get along, I had the guys that were in previous units with me. I had people who I had met socially. I had, you know, friends from this job and, and, like people say, and they're honest with, with you is when you get out of the service, like some of those groups shrink, some of those groups become unable to access. Um, and, and I found myself feeling a little more alone and, and it was, okay. I, I'm a very like joking. I, I'm very social. So having less outlets to be social, to de-stress kind of put the physical toll on me. I found myself staying home more. I found myself not being like, um, introverted or recluse, but just there weren't chances to go out. And when there mm. were, what do you do? You know, you, you go to excess, you drink, you eat, you're like, Oh, let's go. You know, I just ate dinner, but yeah, I'll go to Hooters. Um, <laughs> those types of things. Um, and while I was still doing distance running, that was a big struggle for me. Um, and as my wife, uh, people say my wife and I, my wife got pregnant. I was there for the journey, just holding on. Um, but <laughs> When she got pregnant, it, it, I knew my priorities and responsibilities would shift. And that, that shift was really big for me, but I didn't anticipate that it would take those social circles, those little islands that I was living on and move them farther away and make them recede more. Um, and while some new islands opened up where with friends, with kids and things like that, it was still different. And then it was yeah. still, it was still, you're focused so much on trying to raise like a human being that's going to add to society and be happy and healthy. It's the right priority. Like there's no doubt. There's no like, Oh, like I think most parents would say, you know, I'll be, I'll be emaciated poor with no shoes on my feet to give them a good life. Absolutely. hundred yeah, percent. But in the process, like where, where are you, what are you doing? What are you sacrificing five, 10 years down the road? And um, just before COVID, I kind of realized that I was like, oh man, like I've gotten real comfortable with running. Like I can go run 10 miles and barely sweat, not at a, like an excruciating pace. My body was just like, okay, yeah, we're going to run. Cool. My legs were strong. It. I had a gut, but it yeah. was what it was. And then um, around COVID, so I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something new. I just said, I'm going to do something hard and new. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be CrossFit. I didn't know what, but I ended up finding jujitsu. 
and I saw COVID that. happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and COVID happened. And while I was interested in it, like the sport where people rub their heads together was like <laughs> the first thing they shut down. Yeah. Um, you know, lick my sweat was not like a big thing around Easter last year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I shelved it and, um, we grabbed a, we grabbed a Peloton, which was, which was really fun. And, and it, it pushed me and my wife to exercise, but it was still that you couldn't go out. Like you, it was just, I wasn't, yeah, I was I still gain. I wouldn't say I was like gaining immense weight, but I wasn't getting healthier. Mm. And, um, I kind of just real, like I had, I ran Marine Corps marathon virtually last year. And when I was training for it, I was like, man, I hurt. And then I got on a scale and I was like, man, I weigh 240 pounds. That's why, like, I used to like walk around at like 190, like even after the military, like I was like 195 to 210, depending on what I had for breakfast. And, um, I just said like, I'm going to run this marathon because I had, I was already like months into training. And I was like the, as soon as I can walk right. I'm going to go and do jujitsu because it was just, I was something that I, I, I heard was really good. And I've, I've always been enamored with it. Uh, it's, yeah, I, 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 it's crazy. It, like it, what you're I, saying, like, like what you're saying, I, I, I thought I was too, I, I, obviously I'm not too over the hill cause you're doing it. No, I'm, I'm in the grave, man. I'm I got one foot in there, but that's, I didn't know what to expect. And that's what I, um, and the funniest part is it's one of those things where it's like, as I found more out about it, I realized that I wasn't on like a, a, a solo journey. Like this is no secret. This is just not being talked about. Yeah. The communal aspect of it is as strong, if not stronger than like the actual technical. And it, it's, there's like all this stuff you see, like, jujitsu is a lifestyle. The reason it's a lifestyle is because you, it's not a, you cannot be a solo. Like if you like to run, you can go out and run and race people. And then you get in your car and you go home you're in there and you have total and complete humility. Like there, there are people who have been and are doing jujitsu for 25, 35, 40 years, and they're still learning. So there's no like expectation of, Hey, if you're really good at this, you're going to be awesome in two months, 90 days. No, like there's, and you see that you see people like, Oh, Hey, how long have you been here? And like, Oh, I've been doing this five years. And you watch them with the level of attention um, with like a crazy high level of attention, listen to the coach or the professor talk and you're like, okay, so I have no room. Like it. And on top of that, I personally enjoy, like I'm, I like puzzles. Like I like, I, I won't sit down and do a puzzle cause I feel like it's a waste of time, but I like being challenged. Yeah. So you have this, this, you have systems and you have approaches. And if you played like board games or something and you have to pick like how to approach a problem, um, that's what jujitsu is. You're anticipating your body type, their body type. But through this, you're also like busting your So you're like getting out of breath. You're soaked in sweat. Your heart rate's going crazy. You know, if you, if you look at like the, the hierarchy of needs, like breathing's pretty high. Like breathing's like. <laughs> it's kind of like number one. Yeah, right? <laughs> Circulation's right after it. So what I found in this is with a lot of stuff going on, and we, I talked about white noise is in jujitsu. It was one of the things that I could focus on. And there was no getting into that, that, that room. There was no, there has been times where like, you know, like my AC broke last week and it's $2,000 bill that while I, you know, I'm, I have to think about how I'm going to process that and, and pay for it and pay for life. 
when I'm in there and in that, that, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the person in front of me who is looking to take my oxygen away or make me nap or, you know, snap something. Um, and, and while that sounds like kind of like barbaric, you can't find, you can't find that level of concentration. You just can't. You, I was you uh, say you like row or rowing or driving, but I was uh, building a trail on my property back home in Washington state uh, when I was on vacation. And that was like the only thing I thought about for about two hours. I forget how much that, how important that is to just get away from yeah. the noise. Like you're talking about. Um, and it's like, it's, a, it's another thing too. It's because everybody's on their own journey and it's such a large group you may be only be able to go one day a week. Okay. Well, you're on your journey. Like I'm, I go four, seven times a week. There's something that goes 10 times a week, but because of that, it's, there's, it's not like you and I, and if you get better than me in an area or all together, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be happy for you that you're progressing. And that was one of the things that I was, I associate, I'll be completely honest. I associated it with Marine Corps martial arts where You know, you do some exercises, you have one match. And if you get tapped out, you're the biggest piece of garbage and everyone makes fun of you. Like the first, when I got, I got like tapped out like 18 times my first six minute roll. Like I I was like, I don't know what you're doing, man. And he's like, okay, I'll do something else. (laughs) And he's like, oh, don't put your knee there. And then like, I would block it. And then he'd do something else and tap me. I'm like, he's like, don't put your other knee there. And it was, and I start at first, you're just like overwhelmed, but you're overwhelmed. But you, it's fun. And I, uh, my favorite, my favorite thing to tell people about is like, if you were in the military and you had a moment where you were miserable and exhausted, but you sat there and laughed about it after, like after a hike, after a conditioning session, you know, whatever. And you laughed. That's what the end of every jujitsu class is like. So I get that. I get that drug, you know, multiple times a week of I just survived. And it's, it's, it's good. It's, but it's, I can't, I can't put into words enough that like physically everything is work. Like, and that I had no intention. I lost 40 pounds and I lost more than that. But my, but my, my overall body weight has been 40 pounds, but my muscle mass has has shot up. My cardio has improved because you're using everything. And it's, it's so awesome. And then you're also, you have this thing to, I don't want to say focus on, but it's, it's a community, it's an, it's another social circle. So when I used to islands, like our huge island just popped up. I have people at my gym that I, I would have never met, yeah. talked to. And it's, um, there's yeah, a, it's, it's crazy. There's a Gracie jujitsu on my exit. I, I think you've convinced me to finally walk through the door. I, yeah. I've been debating because I have arthritic shoulders and that's, you know, I'm pretty, you know, and I, that's, I, I, I didn't know what would hurt or help. Though. No, no. Like, and then this so. is, so this funny thing is I also had a bum shoulder. Um, I, I yeah. knock on wood. And when I went in there, I said, Hey, you know, the shoulder doesn't bend like the other one. And they said, okay. And what that is it, with somebody else who's rolling with you, that is experienced that you've made the game harder for them, which they like. Okay. Like there, there's days where, where like, okay, hey, if you're a higher belt, you can only attack the right leg. And like, so me as a lower belt, I'm like, oh, cool. I only need to focus on that. And, and they, it, you've increased the difficulty level and it's fun. But then huh. the other part that I didn't really get because you're like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. They tell you tap early and tap often because you're, everybody's on their own journey. 
Like, I don't know your medical history. So you'll learn that this move hurts your shoulder. And you'll also learn that you can't get out of it at, after this point. Like after I grab your wrist and I push your shoulder down, like you can't get out of it. You tap at that point. Like there, and no one's going to be like, oh, you didn't let me finish. Because if they're at that point, they've already finished it. Like, right, you know, no. yeah. So that, and, but the other thing is you'll find just the, and at least I have found, and I have read about others finding is that your overall health improved. Like my shoulder went from limited mobility to like I can do, I can do, like you said, I don't think I'm in better shape than I was when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, I'm still heavier, but I definitely have more muscle mass and I have more flexibility and endurance, but I'm also still, I'm only nine or eight and a half months in. So, but the cool part is, like I said, like my, my buddy, Johnny, who took that picture, he goes twice a week, you know, but I have friends at the gym that are there twice a day. Wow. There's, you compete and they, you compete at your age and uh, weight. So for us older guys, I'm, I have a competition tomorrow and I got, I had a good day today, but like yesterday I got the crap kicked out of me and somebody was like, Oh, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, you guys are all like 23 to 30 year old Marines. I'm 37 in the dad bod division. Like I'm, I'm in great shape compared to this account, this accountant I'm going to fight this weekend. Like <laughs> you better watch out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That you're, you're, you're really enjoying it. And, and I'll tell you what, I think you've convinced me. Um, Tim, what's one thing that you learned during your time in the military that you apply to what you do today? If you were to pick one thing, um, remain calm, find, find the humor in the situation. I see, and yeah, obviously, cause you see that in your memes. Yeah. That, and, and, but it's like beyond, um, beyond that it's yeah mental energy, um, that you waste on things that either are not as important as everything that you've pushed aside to deal with it or mental energy you waste kind of mulling over and, and sitting on these things nine times out of 10 is not there. Like yeah. it's not needed. It's, it's, to me, um, whether it's a homework assignment, whether it's, you know, it's like, okay, what do I need to do? How can I do it in an efficient manner? But at the same time, if I, if, if I move all these pieces around, who's not, who's getting short end of the stick, you know, and I've prioritized my life, you know, to my son, my wife, um, my, my immediate and close friends. And, and sometimes it's so easy to be like, oh, this, I have to do this. Do you, um, yeah. we have this military mentality that we want to transfer into the civilian world. And I still find myself doing it now four years later because yeah. I have like, Oh, I'll, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it. And it's like, the, everybody just goes, you can, you can do that next week. You don't have to, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, so yeah. for me, forcing myself to relax. And I learned that in the military because like I said, a bad day is losing a friend or watching a friend go through an injury. Um, that's going to be persistent and, and impactful a bad day is not, you know, spilling coffee on your pants. It's like, Oh man, people are going to think I peed my pants. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Tim, is there a, is there a veteran nonprofit or a veteran in the community whom you've worked with and you'd like to mention? Yeah, absolutely. So if you are interested in all what I talked about, I wish I had found them sooner. There's a, there's a group called veterans jujitsu and their sole purpose is linking up people who are on the fence to get into jujitsu for free that are veterans. Wow. They have um, commitments wow. and connections with gyms all over the country. Okay? okay. And what they do is you say, Hey, I want to do jujitsu. If they, if you need a gi, 
which is the outfit or yeah. the, they'll hook you up with one or they'll talk to you people like geese for GIs. Um, but more importantly, they have relationships where depending on your area, um, that gym hosts a veterans only night one, two, three times a week that you can attend for free. Okay. Um, and they do add, they add a kind of a little bit of a, remember I talked to you about how at the end of class, you kind of just bullshit. Yeah. The veteran, the ones that are run by the veterans jujitsu, it's That's more organized and structured after class. So it's not okay. like a touchy feely powwow, but you're going to, you're going to talk and you're going to build some more relationships because a lot of veterans in these remote locations, even if they have friends, they, you know, it's different. It's like so, when you, you perk up, when you see somebody with a Marine Corps shirt on, you just want to say, Hey buddy, how's it going? Where were you? You get so that. The, so these veterans nights are sub- subsidized by vet- veterans and jujitsu. Right? Yes. So it's either a commitment or, um, all the profits that they have take care of the advertising. And if there's insurance wow. fees and all that stuff, you won't be expect. Now, obviously, um, depending on where you are and your, your, your position in life, you may grow out of that because here's the thing yeah. is I'm going to tell you the bug will bite you. And you're okay. like, oh, yeah. two nights a week for free sound good, but I'll pay a hundred dollars a month to go as much as I want. And you're like, okay. you know what I mean? And okay. that, yeah, yeah. And then, it, and then it takes off. It's, it's a doorway to get in. So That's they're awesome. on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I, I got to meet the founder at a, at a jujitsu camp that I went to last month named Joey. Um, he's doing great things in the field. There are some very similar ones like We Defy and stuff like that. But this has been the only one that I have per, have a personal connection to and sure. just say, I wish I found him. I, I really did wish I found him sooner. Because um, the other thing too, let's be honest, money is always a factor in most in a lot of people's decisions. Yes. So when you go in and you say, hey, how much is this? And they tell you 50, 60, $100 because depending upon the gym and the staff. Plus gear like, and gear. Like, ah. and, yeah. yeah. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. It's, it's one more thing to make you have doubt. Yeah. So if you can remove those to me. Um, I believe that would be a, a great organization to check out. Noted, noted. Um, now we're, we're coming up on a, on on towards the end here. Is there anything, Tim, that I've missed or haven't asked that you think is important to share? Um, I found a lot of um, immediately after my combat deployments. I found a lot of um, growth and um, stability in working with nonprofits. Um, I, I work almost exclusively with Ainsley's Angels of America, which aims to help special needs um, individuals be more inclusive in events. Uh, please check us out. But that, and it, it's, it, it isn't necessarily like the helping makes me feel better. It's, it's, it's my effort and being part of this community and like help, like just the service, especially when I came back from Afghanistan the, the second time. Being involved in that group and seeing that your actions, because we unfortunately we can sometimes associate our actions in service to the negative, the death, destruction, the if I did this or if I did that. But being part of an, of an institution where every action you do has a positive impact that is just you're establishing memories in those children's and families' lives that are there forever. And that one day you helped out and then it's like you go back and you go back and then you get it's to me um, and I still am still active in it that um, has helped me a lot, um, kind of balance the, the portions of my life where I may have had doubt in action or, um, regret in action to, to kind of refocus my energy towards helping others and especially helping those who some people who who need it, you know, who who benefit the most from it. I had a, when I was in North Carolina, I had a corporal that was involved with Angel's Angels and he always talked about it. Uh, he seemed to have enjoyed it his, his time with it as well. 
So it's it's outstanding. Ansysangelsofamerica.com uh, and social medias and stuff and YouTube. We're, we're big on YouTube, but uh, to me personally, um, for personal growth and resiliency, jujitsu for kind of that mental um, help and, and and growth and, and healing might be the best word, honestly. Um, I, I found I found nonprofit work like that has has been beneficial to me. Very well. Well, Tim, uh, appreciate you coming on, man. It's great re- it's, yeah, it's great reconnecting. Like the least uh, prestigious guest you've ever had. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut your mouth. All right, dude. We are out. Later. Right. Later. Have a good one. I was a gunner's mate. Tonkin Golf. Logistics. Ramstein. Medic. Kandahar. As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry. Camp Pendleton or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. I want to thank Tim for coming on and for personally challenging me to take on jujitsu as I'm now experiencing everything that he's talked about in that conversation to find Tim, you can look him up on LinkedIn or, you know, just wait for the next meme. He's going to be in this week's born. The battle of veteran of the week is from our VA veteran of the day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by sending in a short write-up and about five photos to new media at VA. Gov. Although his father wanted him to graduate, John Reyes dropped out of Jefferson Davis High School in his senior year in 1964 to enlist in the Marine Corps. While traveling to their destination, they took a pit stop in Hawaii, where Reyes learned from the wives of some of the officers that the military would be going to Vietnam. The rest of the men would learn of this news on a ship three days after departing Hawaii. Reyes was a flamethrower operator for the 1st Marine Division, 2nd Battalion, 7th Marine Regiment. According to Reyes, the average lifespan of a flamethrower operator in Vietnam was about three seconds. Of course, this extremely dangerous job made him a prime enemy target throughout his service, but he never took a bullet. However, an enemy mortar round did hit him during Operation Utah in 1966. The shell ripped his lip, burned off one of his eyebrows, and wounded his calf. Reyes was honorably discharged from the Marines on January 28, 1970. Reyes married his first wife for nine years, and they had two children. He later married Cheryl Smith in 1976, and they also had two children. Reyes earned his general education degree and became the business owner of a jewelry store. He also professionally drove semi-tractor trailers. After 15 years of driving, he suffered a stroke and recovered in a VA hospital. Unable to renew his commercial driver's license due to the stroke, he retired from driving 18-wheelers in 2008. After being diagnosed with PTSD, he read books and stayed connected with his children to overcome it. In an interview with the University of Texas at Austin, Reyes expressed he does not regret joining the Marine Corps. He said, I've said this many, many times, that you cannot draw four years out of my life and have those four years replace the years I spent in the Corps. That's a fact. Marine veteran John Reyes. Thank you for your service. 
That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future Born the Battle Veteran of the Week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, put a short write-up, and let us know why I'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app on a phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us at that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast or any immediate products or services they may provide. I said that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Fire bullets fly to my brain. Simplify till we're done another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Made bullet in my back Raining down lead Punching that clock Get em boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner bullets fly day and night Rain, simplify Do or die, another campaign Here we go, lock and load 0331, lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one What's the statute of limitations on drunken shenanigans on base? It's got to be at least 15 years, right? I think so. I think seven, so, right? Well, yeah. So if you've ever been to, I have a story, then that's that's kind of like, um, it wouldn't surprise people, but it will. they'd still find it funny because they could relate. I mean, um, we all, um, if, if you have ever been to Hawaii, the E-Club is basically set in Gruntland, like all the infantry <laughs> barracks. Have you been to Hawaii? I haven't been, I've been to Hawaii, but never got to Kota. Okay, Kota well, so if you go to Kahuna's, the, so what naturally happens, especially in Hawaii, where it it's just basically a pain to get get anywhere worthwhile. A lot of days during the week we would drink on base, and I kind of became like the de facto e club guy because I I loved going. I loved everything about the e club. I loved that the beers were a dollar. I loved that the wings were twenty five cents. Um, and then one of the evenings, and this is why it's it's it just it's like oh, what do you think about the e club? Um, because I was like the senior guy from my company, it was. And I had good rapport. The bartender would be like, hey, like, get everybody outside. Like, hey, we're closing. And like one of the nights that we were closing, we were like my platoon. Actually, my company was just there in depth. Like I was like, man, everybody's from our company. And I was like, India company, fall out. Like as like, because I'm like oh a corporal. Gosh. So they fall out and these knuckleheads get in formation. Like so in the the Yeah. And this is at like 2 a.m. So we're not in sound mind or body. And the barracks is like 600 meters that way. And I'm like, okay. And then somebody goes, let's go run 
to the air wing side of base. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) We take off calling what sounds like cadence at 2 a.m. down the street, which it wasn't that far. It's probably less than half a mile. You know, it's, it's farther being old. And I'm like, okay, we're here. And somebody goes like, let's just screw with the duty. So we flash mobbed this PFC that's just sitting at a desk at 3 a.m. like this. And we just ran in there and like knocked his desk over and like (laughs) stuff off the wall and just ran. And the reason that's funny if you're in the military is because if you think of the next act, like we didn't, we didn't assault him. We didn't hit him. We didn't swear at him. He's just sitting there in the chair and his duty hut goes from perfect, nothing unusual report to 30 drunken grunts stole my cork board and knocked my desk over and threw all the papers all over the courtyard. And you know what I mean? Like, and picture being that corporal, that sergeant that comes back and just the duty hut is destroyed. You know, we ran, we I ran back to the barracks. Check out the food and what happened? Yeah, yes. <laughs> he, he was sleeping in his room, you know, on rest yeah. recovery. Yeah. And that, and like, to me, Cause I like, I like to look at things like, at, like I've definitely done something like, Oh, that's kind of mean. Like in this instance, like, yeah, that guy had to pick that up. But, and if you're out there, find me, I'll buy you a beer. But <laughs> <laughs> in Kanye, yeah, in 2005, I want to say maybe, yeah, I think it was 2005. Uh, we flash mobbed a, a, an adjacent unit's duty desk and it looked like a nuclear bomb went off and just ran into the midnight in a, a big gaggle back to our, our barracks and went to bed. <laughs> 